0: We hope you enjoy this message from Church on the Lake by Pastor Mike Cooper. All right. You ready to to get into the message? Okay. So, this, this series that we're in is called Refresh 22. And back in November, Uh, The Lord really laid on my heart that at the beginning of the year we need to refresh the things that matter most to us, the things that are very important to us as a church. And the word refresh has lots of different meanings, and I've tried to bring those out each week. But when you really think about what we're doing, we're, we're bringing back, we're rehearsing what really matters most. And in doing that, it refreshes to our mind. It refreshes to what we are and who we are. And we started out by talking about our vision. And if you remember, it's all based on Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. And what has happened over the years is God put that on Liz and I's heart as the vision for our ministry. And then as we took the leadership of Church on the Lake, God laid out seven things that we as a church should focus on, and we went over every one of those on the first Sunday in January. And you can see them anytime on our website. You can go on there and say, uh, tell about us, and then go down there, and it says vision. And then the next week it says values, and then today we're talking about what we believe. So last week it was our values. All of that was based on Hebrews 11, one through 2. Six. And our faith, our faith is why we do what we do. What, what matters most to us? What are our core values? It's all centered in faith, believing that God has called us to a walk of faith, and therefore we act and, and we behave ourselves in our culture in a certain way. And really, to, to say what we're doing is we are, re, we are refreshing what the culture of Church on the Lake is. And so today, we're going to talk about our beliefs. Uh, What is our statement of faith? And I want to just walk you through that. There's going to be a lot of Bible today. But as I'm getting started, I want to kind of lay a foundation of why we have the beliefs that we have and where they came from, and then build from there, because it'll be a lot of statements and a lot of Bible. So... While our vision and values are based on us as a church and the leadership that God has given us here, our, our beliefs are, are from our parent organization. And we are, Liz and I, are in alignment with the, the belief statement of Grace International. It's our parent organization. And you say, well, who are they? What is that? Well, we're pretty connected. In fact, Liz and I have been involved with Grace International for over 40 years. So we're pretty connected, and I can explain more of that as I go on, but Liz actually connected to them before I did. Uh, She was four years old uh, when she first connected to Grace International. I'm a a Johnny-come-lately, new kid in town. I was 17 uh, before I ever connected to my first Grace International church. Beliefs. And this is very important to understand. Beliefs come from long-standing creeds of the church that lead us into the modern day. And when you look back on the creeds of the early church, that's where most of our statement of faith is birthed in, is those early creeds of our early church fathers. And for about 1,000 years, excuse me, the early church fathers for about 500 years uh, walked in those creeds, and and really walked in a purity of faith. The church remained very pure for about 500 years. While there's always been apostates in the church, there's always been false doctrine that's tried to rise up. For the first 500 years of church history, the church had a very uh, pure, pure beginning. And we were known as the one holy Catholic church. It's very important that you understand that. that The church and the early church fathers were one holy Catholic church. It was one universal church in those first 500 years. And and when you kind of get into the 500th year, you start seeing the church drifting away from its early foundations. You see the church starting to wander away from the purity of the faith. And for about a 1,000 years the church as a whole, moved away from the Bible. And it was reserved only for the clergy, which led to great error, for the common person did not have the Bible in their own language. Initially, the Bible was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Those were the languages of the people. So I want you to hear me now. The Bible was originally written in those languages. First 500 years, what happens? The Roman Empire is ruling the entire world. And so then the influence of the Roman Empire shifted the language to where Latin became the language of the common people. This is important. Latin was the language of the common people, and the Bible then was translated from Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic into Latin. Once it became Latin, it was the language of the common people. People could read the Bible, but as time went on and corruption filled the church and the clergy began to separate themselves from the people, and the Bible was only for them, and only they could read the Bible, the language in the world began to shift. Because as the Roman Empire began to split apart, now you had people that begin to speak other languages. And I want you to hear what happened. The church basically said, the Bible is only for the clergy, And we're making Latin the official language of the church. And common people could no longer have a Bible in their own language. So you can imagine how, if you don't know the Bible for yourself, that whatever the clergy is saying, that's what began to be what you live by. And then that became further and further from the truth. And they actually religiousized a language. Think about this, because I'm going to come home to us here real quick. In about 1,500, men of God begin to realize that the only way through this was for us, common people, to have the Bible in our own language. Guess what? They were called heretics. They were persecuted. Because they believed that you should have a Bible. And that you should be able to read it. It shouldn't be in a language you can't read. It should be in a language you can read. And so these men begin to translate the Bible from Latin into English and German. So you have the Wycliffs. You have the Tyndales writing the Bible into English. And you have the Luthers writing the Bible into German. And let me tell you, on October 31st, 1517, the Great Reformation officially began as Martin Luther nailed his 99 thesis to the wall of the church in Gutenberg. Think about that. The Facebook of the day made his post, right? It was a little different back then. You had to have a hammer and a nail and a piece of paper, but he just nailed it to the church door. And on that day, over 500 years ago now, the Great Reformation began. And in that reformation, what was so powerful about it is now the Bible was being written in our language that we could read. Not a lang- you would go to church and you couldn't understand what they were saying. And you couldn't read what they were saying. The Bible must be in our hands so that we can have the light of the gospel for us to be able to know. So the original language, which was the language of the people, was shifted to Latin. Latin, the language of the people, was shifted and it became, uh, you know, obsolete. And there was people speaking other languages. So then the Germans and the English now had their Bible. And obviously the Wycliffe translators have been working to translate the Bible all over the world. So that everyone, everywhere, can read the Bible in their own language. Hallelujah. One of our missionaries, uh, George C. in India, actually on their compound is a, is a Wycliffe Bible translator uh, part of the, of the compound, is that on their grounds. Where today in India, they're translating uh, Bibles in every language that's in India. It's amazing. It's beautiful. But I want you to think about our own translations of our Bible because... You know, I hear a lot of times people saying, well, if the King James Version was good enough for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me. Can I tell you that they didn't have the King James Version? I love the King James Version. I I actually spent my week this week just listening to the King James Version because I love the the sound of of the old Shakespearean sound and and, and I don't speak that language anymore though. And so I, for years, have preached out of the New King James because it it just flowed better for me and that, that still continues to be my primary translation. But what I've learned out of the Passion Translation this year has been God speaking to me in the language of the day. Because our language has shifted so much. We do not worship language. And it's very important as a believer in Christ that you understand that you worship Jesus Christ and not the language of the day. Because if you do, then we're going to have another system that says that's the only language and pretty soon we won't even know what the Bible says. We need the Bible in the language that we can understand in the day in which we live. Otherwise, we repeat history again. And it already happened from Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, to Latin, from Latin to English and German, and now we are in danger again of having the same thing happen if we don't read the Bible for ourselves and we understand the language of which it's written in. Amen. Amen. So our beliefs... Come through all of these times, and that brings us up to because we're a spirit-filled fellowship. Let me let me back up just a moment because I'm still nailing the thesis up on the wall, and then I got off on this tangent. So. We see see Martin Luther nailing these uh, theses on the wall. And then I've mentioned the Moravians many times, but I want to just mention them for a moment because in the 1700s, the Moravians received an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that literally has fueled the modern missions movement. Their incredible day in the 1700s of the Holy Spirit falling upon the unity of six denominations of the Moravians is one of the most powerful moments in history, much like the day of Acts, in Acts 2. And they, they spurred. When we think of missions, the reason we think about missions the way we do is because the Moravians thought of it first. The original Methodists were known as Holy Ghost and Fire People. When you read the stories of the miners in England and Wales, you're going to read stories of Methodist encampments within the, the copper mines. You'll read stories of people full of the Holy Ghost and fire that would bring the gospel to their communities. It was a, it was a, it was a time when the Methodists were reaching the common people of the day. While the aristocrats continued in the Church of England, it was the Methodists that stirred revival around England and Wales and Ireland and and all into Scotland. It was amazing. In the 1800s and early 1900s, the baptism in the Holy Spirit became widespread across America. William Seymour, an African-American man, from Kansas, was looking for a place to start a church and to pray for Holy Spirit revival. He, he went from Kansas to Houston, Texas. This is very important. He got to the train station, which today sits right in the middle. The train station would sit right in the middle of today, what is Pearland, Texas. William Seymour got out at Pearland, Texas, thinking that this was the area that he was to bring revival, that this was the place of Holy Ghost revival. He was met with racism. He was met with people closed off to the move of the Spirit, and he got right back on the train, and he went to Los Angeles. He got to LA. Went out to Azusa Street and started a little church out there on Azusa Street. I've I've drove up in that area. It's an incredible thing to think about. But in this little church in 1906, the Holy Spirit is poured out. That revival on Azusa Street would spread all over the United States and around the world. William Seymour, Azusa Street Revival, would spur and begin every spirit-filled fellowship would come from those beginnings. With the tracing, just like I've done throughout history, but now there's a shift. Something new has happened. The outpouring of the spirit comes and every spirit-filled fellowship is born. In 2011, Liz and I had the privilege of meeting the last living survivor of the Azusa Street Revival. It was on the 105th anniversary of Azusa Street Revival. Guess where we met him? In Pearland, Texas. I just got me some goosebumps. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. See, what happened 105 years ago, we can't do nothing about that, but we can say, let's change it. And so we invited uh, this brother to come and meet with us and a group of prayer warriors. His name was Tommy Welchel. He since went to be with the Lord. If he hadn't, he'd be really, really old by now uh, because... That was a long time ago now, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Then Liz and I had the privilege of attending the 110th anniversary of the Azusa Street Revival. But it wasn't held out in the little mission on Azusa Street, which held about 100 people. It was held in Los Angeles' Memorial Coliseum with thousands and thousands of people. As we remembered what God did on Azusa Street 110 years ago. We've already passed the 115th anniversary now. But on the 110th anniversary. And the reason I'm I'm saying this and and I want to bring this home. is, Is this is all part of who we are. And on that day Billy Graham's grandson prophesied. Billy Graham's grandson, while Billy Graham was still living, prophesied over the Memorial Coliseum and the thousands of people that were gathered there. And he said, the spirit of the evangelist is going to be released over our land and around the world. I believe something great is coming. That God's not finished. And that there will be a release of the Holy Spirit like we've never Seen before. Amen. From the Azusa from the Street Revival, then, as the, as, the me, as the message and the movement spread across America, it found real roots in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And it was there that the Assemblies of God were birthed. And from the Assemblies of God, now, see, I'm narrowing the stream because now from the Azusa Street Revival, the Assemblies of God are birthed, and out of the Assemblies of God comes every Spirit-filled fellowship. And out of that, one particular branch of that was the four-square gospel. And that is the branch that we were a part of. We as Grace International. So I'm literally following the, the tree... And we get to Azusa Street, we go to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and now we're back in Los Angeles, California, and Amy Simple McPherson, the founder of the Foursquare Gospel, is preaching there in, in Los Angeles. The Foursquare Gospel is Christ as Savior, Christ as Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, Christ as Healer, and Christ as the soon-coming King. That was in 1921, as Amy Simple McPherson began the Four Square Movement, which later Jack Hayford would be the president of, and it continues to be a great fellowship in the world. But in 1934, O.C. Harms, a part of that church, branched out and began what is now Grace International. One of our dearest friends was five years old, The day that they began the fellowship, he was in the very first convention. Today, Marvin Bell, who is a dear friend of ours, was in that fellowship, and he's still in our fellowship at 92 years of age. He's at Grace Community Church in South Houston right now, worshiping God. We were with them in revival last uh, fall, and Macy was prayed over by Marvin Bell. Marsha and TJ's daughter was prayed over by Marvin Bell. He was five years old. He goes on to become one of the leaders of our fellowship. He's probably second, third in command at one time. His best friend became the president, and they've carried the fellowship for many years. So we've got connections there. But in 1934, there were 12 churches in Long Beach, California that all started at the same time. That was the convention of 1934. Today, Grace International has over 4,200 churches around the world. We're in 116 countries. So our statement of faith has a very solid foundation. And I've tried to lead you through the branches of that. Linked to the beginning And many of the monumental things that have happened over the last 2,000 years. So let's start here, number one, with the Bible. I'm going to read the statement, read the scripture. My preaching should go pretty quickly from here because I've laid a big foundation. But the Bible. We believe the entire Bible to be the inspired, the only, infallible, authoritative, eternal word of God. God gave the Bible to us through men who were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the words of Scripture. The Bible is without error. It can can and should shape the way we live. In 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says, God has transmitted his very substance into every Scripture. Catch that. That means he's in every verse. His substance, his DNA is in every verse of the Bible. For it is God-breathed. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. So we as a church, we believe in the Bible. And the Bible can do amazing and incredible things in your life. Number two, God. We believe there is one triune God, eternally existent as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are all together separate and all together one. He created the universe, man in his image, and is the Savior of all people. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We see God the Father in heaven. We see the Son on the earth. And we see the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Three in one. Number three, Jesus Christ. We believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in his virgin birth, in his sinless life, in his vicarious and atoning death, in his bodily resurrection, in his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and in his personal return in power and glory. You want to know what we believe about Jesus? There it is. Listen to this in John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, the living expression was already there. That means at the very beginning of time, Jesus was already there. And the living expression, which is the word of God, was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. A fountain of life was in him, for his life is light for all humanity. And in this light, and this light never fails to shine through the darkness, light that darkness could not overcome. Jesus, the Son of God. Number four, salvation. We believe that mankind was created in the image of God to have fellowship with him. That was our reason for being created. However, mankind became alienated from that relationship through sinful disobedience. When sin entered the world, that sin separated us from our creator, a holy God, and left man incapable of coming back into right relationship with God on his own effort. So you cannot work your way back to God. Salvation, and this is key, is by faith alone, through grace alone, and is found in Christ and what he did on the cross. Both justification and sanctification are the works of the Holy Spirit in those who trust in Jesus Christ. This is a very familiar portion, but I thought it was important to read it Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved by faith. Nothing is the love gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one, even before we were born. God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. (laughs) Take that to the bank. Number five, the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son of God. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit by whose indwelling helps us to live for him every day. The Holy Spirit connects people to Christ, equips them in their relationship with God, and helps them share Christ with people who do not know him. We believe in the personal baptism with the Holy Spirit as received by believers at the beginning in the book of Acts. We believe in the present day manifestation of all the gifts Of the Holy Spirit in the church. Romans 8, 9 through 15. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you're not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined to the Spirit of the Anointed One, you're not of Him. Now Christ lives His life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you're fully accepted by God. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, got it? He will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. So then, beloved ones... The flesh has no claims on us at all, and we have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. For when we you live controlled by the flesh, you're about to die. But if you live the life of the, the Spirit puts to death, the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste His abundant life. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Please hear this. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, unfolding you into the family of God. And you'll never feel orphaned, for he rises up within us. Our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved Father, Abba father the church we believe that the church is the body of Christ of which Jesus Christ is the head it is made up of people growing in God celebrating God together connecting to each other serving those in need and sharing Christ in their community the purpose of the church is to glorify God by loving him and making him known to a lost world The church's mission is to love God and love people by fulfilling the Great Commission. And what is that Great Commission? Matthew 28, 8 through 20, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came close to them and said, All authority of the universe has been given to me. Now, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I've commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. Hallelujah. Number seven. I'm going to take a breath. <laughs> As I was reading that last one, I thought of Josiah the king. And he, was at, he began to read the word of God to the people for the first time. See, they had a crisis of the Bible in in Israel's time as well. All of God's commands and his laws had been locked away. And Josiah, the great king, the young boy, brings out the word of God as he gets older and reads the word of God to the people. Number seven, eternal life. We believe that Jesus Christ will return to the earth one day to take everyone who believe in him and entered a relationship with God as Savior to heaven to live for eternity. People who have not chosen to accept Christ will be separated from God for eternity and will not be able to experience heaven, but experience eternal damnation. John 5, 28 and 29. Don't be amazed when I tell you these things. For there is a day coming when everyone... Who has ever died will hear my voice calling them back to life. And they will come out of their graves. Those who have done what is good will experience a resurrection to eternal life. And those who have practiced evil will taste the resurrection of judgment. Number eight, baptism and communion. We believe the two scriptural ordinances of a New Testament church are water baptism and communion. We follow our Lord's command to give public evidence of our salvation with baptism by water and faithfully remember Christ's cleansing blood and broken body with the elements of Holy Communion. And while water baptism and Holy Communion are not required for salvation, they are biblical commands that demonstrate your faith in Christ and obedience to him. I'm going to read a very familiar portion from our text that we normally use for communion, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 28. I have handed down to you what came to me by direct revelation from the Lord himself. That's what the Apostle Paul said. The same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, take it and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. He did the same thing with the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it, and whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the body and blood of the Lord. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. A little a moment there, catch my breath. Marriage and family. We believe that marriage and family are institutions Ordained by the Lord himself from the very beginning of human history. And these are sacred institutions. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Any other definition of marriage is contrary to the clear teachings of the Holy Bible. And hence against the expressed will of God. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. We believe that unity regarding the foundational doctrines clearly taught in the Holy Bible is absolutely essential. At the same time, we also affirm that we must accept one another in the love of Jesus, recognizing that there are different styles and expressions of worship. All the members of the body do not look alike. Together, we are the body of Christ, called to build the kingdom in harmony and agape love. And it's really the answer to the prayer in John 17, 11. Holy Father, I'm about to leave this world to return and be with you. But my disciples will remain here. Holy Father, each one that you have given me, keep them in your name so that they will be united as one, even as we are one. Amen. The sanctity of life. We believe in the sanctity of human life. From the moment of conception to the time of death. All human life is precious in the sight of God. Psalm 139, 13 through 14. You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. Human sexuality. We believe God created men and women as sexual beings. Sexuality is an integral part and beautiful part of creation. The Bible clearly teaches that any sexual act outside of the marriage whether in thought, word, or deed, is sin. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8. God's will is for you to be set apart for him in holiness and that you keep yourself unpolluted from sexual defilement. Yes, each of you must guard your sexual purity with holiness and dignity, not yielding to lustful passions like those who don't know God. Never take selfish selfish advantage of a brother or sister in this matter. For we've already told you and solemnly warned you that the Lord is the avenger in all these things. For God's call on our lives is not to a life of compromise and perversion, but to a life surrounded in holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this instruction isn't rejecting human authority, but God Himself who gives us his precious gift, his spirit of holiness. I hope that you'll take time to look all of these up on the website, the Statement of Faith, that you'll take time to read all the scriptures that go with them. I didn't know any other way how to bring it out in one service than what I did And I pray that these things caught your attention because you need to refresh what you believe. What you believe is what you become. And so you need this instruction. And I hope you see that almost every single one of those things we've been covering over the last year. Because that's important to know that what we believe we actually preach because we believe we need to live it. It's not just something tucked in the closet. It's not just something hidden under the rug. These are things that we believe and that we live. And as a body, the more that we walk in this understanding, the stronger our testimony becomes in the community. So I'd like us just to bow our heads before the Lord. Thank you for listening today. May you as a son or daughter of the Father know the true love of Jesus Christ and understand your true identity as a royal member of His family. If you live in Polk, San Jacinto, or Trinity County in Texas, consider joining us live at 8125 U.S. Highway 190.